Hello, you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. We're, we're glad to be able to have this time with you. We are going to start our year um, our, our new, with a new series uh, through the book of Nehemiah, and it's called Rise and Build, and we'll unpack what that looks like over the next several weeks throughout this month. But it all starts with um, kind of this idea of, of a love for your city, of where you are. So I want to do a quick, um, just a real quick poll. How many of you born and raised in Poway? Like you're Powegians through and through. Oh, surprising. Excellent. How many of you born and raised San Diego? Can we just expand it a little bit? Okay, good. We've got a few. How many of you have lived, um, where do you, who thinks they were born the farthest away from here? Does that make sense? Like who thinks that they were born farthest away? Yeah, where, where, where were we born? What, what, Vietnam? That's, that's pretty far. Yeah, absolutely. And where, LV? Philippines. Yep. Germany. Okay. Last time we had, we didn't have, last service, we didn't have very many people say anything because uh, one of our, one of our newer uh, families, he just goes, Tehran. I'm like, yeah, you win. So let's just, we'll just be done. The end, you know. So I don't know, I, I confess, Vietnam, Philippines, I would assume they're probably farther than Germany. I don't, I, you know, I don't have my, uh, my atlas in front of me right now. But recognize that we could come from far away, but we're all here together. And why has God brought all of us to this church? Why is our church in this city? Why has God called us to be part of Poway or the greater San Diego, San Diego County and not called us to be part of, you know, in, in the middle of Illinois, Right? Nothing wrong with Illinois, but I'm just saying, why does God have us here? It's, I, for those of you who are listening, it was too cold in Illinois, which, amen and amen. And so, um, with that said, we, we have a, there's sometimes when we think about, we have our city, we think of pride in our city. You know, Poway being the city in the country, or San Diego being America's finest city, and you know, we, we get to be really excited. And yeah, people in Illinois are thinking, yeah, how great it would be to not have it be too cold and to be able to be in San Diego. There's snow on the ground here? Okay, Central Illinois. I got really excited. I was like, snow day, and we all would just leave and go play in the snow if it was here. No. Um, but recognizing that we can have pride in our city, we love our city, and why has God called us to this city? Now, to illustrate this, in my, when I was growing up, I was born um, in San Jose, California, but I grew up in Santa Clara, California, which is part of the Silicon Valley. Um, you know, it was, it, was, it was a good place to grow up overall. And I remember um, one of the things that, you know, it's not known for a ton. Currently, it's known as the, the city that has the new stadium for the San Francisco 49ers that no 49ers fans are glad that it's in the city. They all wish it was back in Candlestick or in the, in the San Francisco itself. But San Fran uh, Santa Clara also has um, Great America, which is like a theme park um, up in the area. But one of the things that I remember that I took great pride in was when there was a season when I was really young, I played basketball for my school. And I remember one night, it was a Friday night after a game, we had a chance to go to um, watch 
uh, the Santa Clara University Broncos, who were led by, if you follow basketball, you'll recognize the name Steve Nash. So Steve Nash, who was a Canadian, grew up playing soccer, decided a random Catholic university in the Silicon Valley would be where he would play basketball. And he would go on to have a Hall of Fame career. Um, he's currently coaching the Nets, but he played for the Mavericks. He played for the Suns. He had a brief like layover in LA that no one wants to talk about, and that's okay too. But just recognizing it was a really, like, really, really cool. And it was so great because in the 1993 tournament, uh, Santa Clara University was a 15th ranked uh, seed inside one of the brackets for the big tournament at the, uh, at the end of March Madness. And they defeated a two seed, the University of Arizona Wildcats. And it was one of those where it was a really exciting moment for those of us from Santa Clara because we were able to celebrate and recognize that um, we had done, like, our city was known for something or got to do something really, really cool. Now, the flip side of it, and, and this is, I'm a sports fan, but I still don't get it. Uh, sports fans, when they win things, often like to destroy things. I don't understand the correlation with that, but recognizing that, you know, then I remember we, we saw, we didn't watch the game live, but we were able to see it. And then there'd be like the local news that was like, you know, people are, you know, parading how excited they are about a win by like, kind of like jumping on cars and like causing a mess, which Santa Clara is not big enough to be able to have all that. So it was just one of those things where even when there's something celebratory, there's still a time where it's like even after that win, they had to kind of, we had to like rebuild just a little bit, but we had to rebuild. We had to start over. We had to say, okay, now let's, let's not destroy things when we're happy. Um, and they ended up losing, you know, the next round anyways, but it was just, a, it was a fun moment growing up. All of that to say that, yes, there are times we have pride in our city, but then there's times when pride in our city can, can turn into or can lead to times where there's things that are really difficult happening in our city and we need to help and rise and build. We need to rebuild the city. And we're going to take the, the next month or so through the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to start today as we look at how Nehemiah, who was living miles and miles away, felt a burden for his city, for Jerusalem, and what that caused him to do in leading out in faith, and how a burden for our city, we'll talk soon about um, the burden for the city, we'll have boldness for our city, the builders of the city, um, and then the battle for the city. We'll take some time looking through Nehemiah over the next few weeks, um, but what does it look like for us to know that God has placed our church in Poway, California, and what might God want to continue to do through our church to bless our city? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for each person who hears my voice, whether they're here in person or they're watching online live or listening to the podcast later. God, we're grateful that um, we have the opportunity to, to be together and hear your word wherever or whenever we are being a part of this service. So God, I pray that as we dive into your word today, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to talk about burden for our city. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to look at the whole chapter today. Uh, it's about, it's not too long, about 11, 12 verses or so. But what I want to do is set the, set the scene a little bit for Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah um, is a cupbearer uh, in Susa, which is now, let's go through the timeline. The people make a covenant with God, uh, with God and Abram. 
then after that, it gets, they end up going to Egypt because, uh, you know, they, they are escaping the famine. Joseph brings them there. Then they have the exodus after 400 years in slavery. Then they go and they get to be in the, in the, the wilderness on the way to the promised land, but they don't follow God. They don't trust in his provision to the promised land. And they rebel. The spies rebel. Then they are stuck for 40 years in the wilderness. Then they make it to the promised land. They start to conquer the land. They long for a king. They end up thinking that God can't be the ruler. God can't be the king. We need, a, we need a, an earthly king. We need a person in charge. And then the kingdoms is when they started to have some fallout. Because the kings, if you look at First Kings, Second Kings, you see a lot of bad kings. You see a lot of people who are not ruling well, who are not following the Lord well. And because the rulers were not doing that, the people started to fall to the wayside from their relationship with God. And the covenant was broken. The covenant was broken because God, people, God's people were not faithful to following his laws, to loving him and putting him first. They ended up, the northern 10 tribes in 722 B.C., were then part of the Assyrian, the Assyrians took them over, and those 10 tribes were, sep- were, were lost. Then there were two tribes that were in Jerusalem, that in 587 BC, the Babylonians destroyed the temple, they, they, they captured people from the city, and they took exiles with them to Babylon. Then, after years, the Babylonian Empire fell, then the, the Medo-Persians came, and that's where we're picking up our story. That this is after the Babylonian exile. This is after even some Syrians ended up actually sending the, the, uh, a couple people, not a couple, excuse me, a handful of people to Jerusalem to start rebuilding a little bit. We see this in the book of Ezra. But now we see Nehemiah. He's in Susa, not Babylon. He's in Susa because he's not, because that, that shows us where we are in the timeline. All of that to say that there were people who were supposed to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. And as we'll see in the first few verses, Nehemiah's brother comes back and gives him a report of how Jerusalem is. And then we'll see how he responds. This is Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Verse 3, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Right off the bat, Nehemiah gets a really hard report about his city. Maybe some of you, you go back to where you were born or where you grew up and you know, you hear, oh man, I can't believe how much things have changed there. Or, you know, so many things, like my favorite restaurants aren't there anymore. Or we, we've lost that, that small town feel. Or there's just too many Starbucks. I mean, there's different things that we look at when it comes to uh, maybe going back. But we have a sense of nostalgia. We talked about this last Christmas in 2020. That nostalgia combines the two words of home and pain. And it's this, this heartache that we have for home a heartache that we have for the past, a heartache we have that we apply in this case to our city growing up perhaps, but it's a heartache that has been woven into the fabric of our souls because it's, a, it's recognizing that we long for the only true home we have, which is with God in heaven. But we attribute nostalgia to so many other things, and so it's real, but it's, but a, sh- it's a shadow, it's a glimpse of the truest nostalgia we have, that we were created for heaven. 
and we're not there yet. And so we long for that home that we have for eternity. Now, all that to say, Nehemiah hears this, that the walls that once protected Jerusalem from their enemies were completely destroyed. The gates that would have kept enemies out were been burned down. That people, enemies would have free reign. And there's a nostalgia, there's a, there's a home pain that he feels for his city. And in verse 4, we see a few things that he does in response. And the verse 4 will be on the screen. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. He mourned for his city. He thought about the glory that it once was, the place where people would go in order to connect with God through his temple, to make sacrifices, to be made right with God. He mourned that it was no longer that way. He sat down and wept. He grieved like we talked about last week during our Reflection Sunday. He sat down and wept, and for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He mourned, he fasted, he prayed. We're going to take a couple moments to investigate each one of those things very briefly, just for our time together. The first idea, the idea that how he mourned, and yes, we can mourn that things are different with our hometown. Things can be small, small mourning, or we can mourn things that are going on currently that, oh, I don't, you know, for some of us, if you live or work anywhere along Pomerado Road for the past several months, you mourn the traffic that's been going on. You think, I have plenty of time. They think, I am late. Um, and so we, you know, we regret. Now that's lighthearted, right? However, there are very real things that we've mourned together as a community. April 27th, 2019, there was the shooting at the Chabad up here, not too far from us. And we have a picture here of some, some people who were there in mourning and, and who were um, at RBCPC that there were hundreds of us that came together to show unity and support for the community and for the Jewish community, community, excuse me. And there was a woman who was singing in Hebrew, just beautiful voice, beautiful language, but we were in mourning together. That night, or maybe the next day, I received a text from a friend of mine who lives back east, and he just said, is this you? And he took a screenshot of uh, a news station that was showing the vigil and showed, um, it was like he circled like a, a a picture like of my profile, which we never really look at our own like actual profiles. I was like, oh, that's what I look like from that angle. Um, but he's like, was this you? Like, were you there? And I'm like, yeah, like that's, that's our hometown. That's our city. And we're mourning together. There were other vigils in similar veins. I was at Poway High School or other different places where people were coming together and we were, you know, you would see Poway strong everywhere, recognizing that the city and the country was a city that now had been in the full view of the country for a very tragic reason. And we mourned. And we prayed and we came alongside one another. And different faiths met in order to show support and to come alongside. We can mourn. And in fact, mourning with those who mourn is something that Paul tells us to do. That blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted is something that Jesus talks about in his very first sermon in Matthew 5. That Mourning is a biblical thing to look upon our city, upon our nation, upon our world, and mourn where we are. It's recognizing that even if things may be going okay for us, that there are those around us, our classmates, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our extended family, people that we know and love are mourning. And they're having a hard time. And, and we can meet them in that 
and grieve with them and mourn with them and acknowledge that this is tough. But we're grateful that we have a God who gives us hope in the midst of tough things. And so it's the fact that we, he mourned, he sat down, he wept, he cried, he recognized the loss of where Jerusalem was once before, what once was before, and wanted to do something about it. Now, he didn't just go right away and say, I'm going to go take over Jerusalem and we're going to make things happen. The next thing he did was something that maybe some of us might think was passive in the sense of, oh, he didn't like go make this big plan. But we know how active the action of fasting is. It is not a passive seeking of the Lord. It is something in which we recognize how important it is to slow down and to be able to give up something in order to take hold of someone, to take hold of a relationship with God that's deeper. In a couple slides, I have a uh, quotation from Dr. Lynn Bob. She's uh, someone who um, was a professor of mine over at Hope International, and she wrote a book about spiritual disciplines. And what she wrote was this, in order to define fasting, because we talked about mourning, but now we're at fasting. And we might think of fasting as just giving up food, but here's what she said. Christian fasting is a voluntary denial of something for a specific time, for a spiritual purpose by an individual, family, community, or nation. I highlighted for a spiritual purpose because, friends, I, I think that many of us are entering into the new year wanting to do something that's a little bit healthier. We have resolutions where we think we're going to, whatever it may be, get healthier, be more active, lose weight, um, stop spending so much time on social media or TV or whatever it may be. And those are all great things. But what makes a Christian fast different than a resolution is that a Christian fast is done for a spiritual purpose. It's giving up of something not so that we can just be healthier. It's the giving up of something so that we can be holier. So we could draw closer to God and nurture our relationship with him. Now, again, is there anything wrong with resolutions trying to do that? No, but it's recognizing that what is our focus? What's a reason for the fasting? Nehemiah fasted for his city. He recognized that he wanted to draw, give up a food to draw closer to God and beg and plead and pray on behalf of Jerusalem, the city where God's temple would dwell and the city that um, was where the people had been drawn to. It was a city of David, a holy city, the city where his name would reside and it was tattered. It was destroyed. It was in ruins. And that caused him to sit down to weep, to mourn. And then he fasted to say, what can I do? God, what would you have us do? When uh, one of the most meaningful times or seasons of fasting in my life is when uh, Steph and I had been dating for about a year and a half. And then she broke up with me um, in the summer of 2003 because she, rightfully so, she was following the Lord and I was not at that time. And so I was more the bad company corrupting her good character. And so she did the right thing, the hard thing, but the right thing in order to, to break up with me. And I made her my idol in the sense of I made her my ultimate thing. And so um, I'd been depressed and suicidal and she came into my life I'm like, oh, you know, she's amazing, which she is, but no one person can be our everything. Unless that one person is Jesus. And so God knew he had to strip away anything and everything and anyone that would get in the way of my relationship with him. So when we broke up um, and once I was like, this is, you know, I was really hurt or really sad about that is when I gave my life to the Lord. 
I came down to UC San Diego for my sophomore year, uh, got involved in a small group at UCSD, uh, ended up getting involved in a study at The Rock, um, felt called to ministry at The Rock, and then felt called to go to Azusa Pacific University to study ministry and to pursue ministry. And that's where Steph went because that was the only Christian school I knew about. And what we decided was... Um, we talked here and there. We met up during Thanksgiving, I think it was. And she had shared later on that she thought that my, you know, me giving my life to the Lord was just a way to, like, win her back. Um, because that would make sense. It's like, well, whatever I have to do to win you back. But we took a month off from talking to one another. And we fasted from connecting with one another. Um, and then I fasted for, from dinners every night for that, for that month. Now, in the beginning, full disclosure, it was like, 4.55, and I was trying to, like, eat one more bowl of cereal, because I'm like, oh, I'm going to be hungry, you know, like, I didn't know what it was like to fast yet, but eventually I learned, and I was able to fast for a season of time, and at the end of that, as we were both giving up something voluntarily, why? For a spiritual purpose, to see what God would have, if anything, what might he have for our relationship, and through that, during that time of fasting, I got accepted to APU. I started, you know, getting ready to go there. And I still didn't know if we were going to get back together or not. But, you know, the Lord had brought us back together. We set aside time voluntarily to fast in order for a spiritual purpose. And so that was just a very meaningful time. Now, I have to confess that then I started to get a little bit of a, um, uh, an inaccurate view of fasting. Because then what would happen is... Um, well, during that time, people were like just, one of the times during that month, uh, people just started bringing food for no reason. And I'm like, why now? So it's like, we go to the movie and like other college students were just bringing us brownies. I'm like, could this not have happened like any other day of the year? Because now there's temptation. But what ended up happening was I got this, um, this idea of, you know, uh, whenever I was maybe feeling that I was getting a little, uh, a little extra soft around the edges, uh, that I'm like, oh, I'll just fast. You know, I'll fast and I'll get healthy and it'll have the ancillary benefit of getting to know God a little bit better. But learning that that is the exact opposite way of how it's supposed to be. It's not getting healthier with a byproduct of holier. It's the point is to get holier, to draw closer to God, to nurture that relationship with him. And yes, there may be health benefits. There may be things that come, but that cannot be the reason. The reason is a relationship with God. The reason is to seek God for a specific purpose, for a spiritual purpose that he would have for us. And so fasting has been something that has been part of my walk with God off and on. And you'll see in Matthew 6 that Jesus doesn't say, if you fast, it's not necessarily a, a condition. Like, you know, if it happens to be a part of your life, he also doesn't say you must fast or else. It's not a, it's not a, a something you have to do. It's a when you fast. It was an assumed part of a Christian's walk. When you fast, here's what you do. And so for us, it's recognizing many of us, when we fast, we, we take what Matthew 6 says, which is rightful in the sense of, you know, go, don't, don't, you know, do your hair so that people don't know that you're fasting. Or don't make it look like your face is so droopy. I'm like, oh, I'm so hungry. You know, like don't bring attention to yourself. And we've taken that verse and we've made fasting a very individualistic thing. And yet, Several times in scripture, we see fasts as something that is communal. That as a nation, we're going to fast together. As a nation or as a city, as a community, we're going to fast because of we need forgiveness for a sin. That's what Nine the Ninevites did. They didn't even know God, but they fasted 
in order to confess and repent of their sins. We, we see fasting in times of preparation. We see fasting in times of getting ready to see the, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 19 and 20. Fasting is a personal thing, but it can also be a communal thing. And in a very personal, individualistic society, a communal fast can have a great impact. So we briefly talk about mourning, weeping with those who weep. Blessed are those who mourn, mourning for our city. Then we talk about fasting, the voluntary, voluntary giving up of something for a specific amount of time for a spiritual purpose by an individual or a community or a nation. And the last thing that we saw from um, Nehemiah from that section of verse 4 is he mourned, he fasted, and then he prayed. Now, I'm going to follow the rest of the passage here. We're going to go a little bit more verse by verse to unpack that Nehemiah models a type of prayer that many, some, many, maybe some of us already are aware of. Maybe some of us need a refresher. Maybe some of us have never heard before. But it's the ACTS method of prayer with A-C-T-S all standing for um, a different, it's, it's a, um, an acronym for different words. So if you know it already, we're going to revisit it. If you don't, maybe this will um, help to encourage us to say, how do we pray more or how can we pray in this season? The first letter, A, stands for adoration. Adoration is giving God glory and praise for who he is before we ask him to do something for us. It's recognized that he is good regardless of the outcome of my prayer request. And he is great for who he is, not just what he can do for us. It's, it's wanting to worship him for his character and his heart, not for his hands and what he can give us. Here's what we see in verse 5 and how Nehemiah models the section of adoration. On the screen it says, Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Remember that covenant we talked about earlier. Put a pin in that idea. We'll revisit it in a moment. Verse 6, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. He's saying, God, you are great. You are awesome. He starts off, you are the Lord, the God of heaven. That he's in a culture that is surrounded with false gods, with idols, with idolatry. And it's saying, none of these gods are the true God. None of the gods of the Persians or the Babylonians, you, they're not the God. They are, they are idols here on earth. But you, Yahweh, you are the God of heaven. You are the one that created the heavens and the earth at the sound of your voice. You're the one that knows each star by name. You're the one that, as we are learning how vast and expansive the universe is, God of heaven, you are the one that created and forms that and you hold it in the palm of your hand. You are far bigger than we could even fathom and you long to be more intimate with us and close to us than we could even hope for. And yet you are both those things, God of heaven. You are great you are awesome. God, you are good before I even ask you anything. In our prayer life, how many of us go straight into, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. God, please help me with this, this, and that. And by us, I mean, me too. This is not a me telling you what to, this is something I'm needing to be reminded of too. It's saying, God, you are good regardless of how the rest of this prayer time goes, this day goes, this week goes, this month goes, this year goes, my life goes. You are good. You are great. You are awesome. 
You are far greater than I ever deserve or can imagine. So it's starting off with this idea of adoration, glorifying God for who he is, for his character, before we ask him for what we want and our needs. The letter C in Acts stands for confession. It's acknowledging that if we are in the midst of this holy, great, awesome, good, powerful God, and he is all the things that we believe he is because of his word here, then that puts us in a sharp contrast to who we are sometimes. We see this in Isaiah 6 when he sees the glory of the throne room of heaven and he sees God, he says, woe to me, I am undone. I am unfinished. I am unglued. I, I cannot be here because of your greatness and my brokenness, my sinfulness. We see this in the second part of verse 6, the idea of confession. The second part of verse 6 and verse 7. Nehemiah prays, I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. It's a time of confession. Now we fast forward hundreds of years when Jesus comes and, and he came and he, he comes and he lives a perfect life and dies a horrible death but is raised to new life so that we may have eternal life. We know the truth of what John says in 1 John 1 that if we confess our sins, God is righteous and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we know the end of the story with Jesus but here at this time, he just confesses, says, Lord, me, my, fa- my family, And we as a nation, we confess our sins. We acknowledge that you called us to faithfulness and obedience, and we've been unfaithful and disobedient. We confess that we are not perfect, and we are not who we should be, and and we can't ever be good enough without you being the great and awesome God of heaven who holds us in the palm of your hands. We, We know that. We confess it. And so then we recognize that we are not in a position to tell God what to do. But because of his greatness and our broken sinfulness, we just ask, we confess and we say, God, would you, would you meet us here? Would you do this? Would, would you do that? We come to him in a position of submission, not trying to tell him what to do in authority. The letter T goes to thankfulness. Now I've got to unpack this one a little bit because it's a little, it's, you know, adoration. It says, Praise be to you, God, the Lord, the God of heaven. Very clear. Confession, verse, second part of verse 6 says, I confess. Like, that's very clear too. This part we have to unpack a little bit why he's so thankful and how he embodies thankfulness through his prayer. Verse 8. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. We'll stop there. That's what's happening right now. They were unfaithful. And they were scattered amongst the nations, that the Israelites were scattered to Assyria, to Babylon, to Persia. So this is something where God was faithful to his word. That God is pure holiness and pure love. And because both of those exist means that when we are unfaithful, there still has to be ramifications for that sin. But yet when we trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we realize that the ramifications and consequences of our sin were put upon Jesus. So we're able to be made whole, made new, and set free. We still confess. We still need God in our lives. But we recognize that the payment, Jesus has already paid for us. However, 
to continue on. The scattering has already happened. He's been faithful to his word. Verse 9. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from them, excuse me, from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. He's saying, even when you've been unfaithful, God's saying this to the people, even when the people are unfaithful, God can still bring them back. No matter how far the prodigal son went down his road apart from the father, he was always welcomed back. No matter how far you may feel from God the Father on January 2nd, 2022, you can always come back. Why? Because it's not based on how well we do things or how good we are. Why? Because he's good. He's great. He's awesome. We confess we're not. So we are thankful that he still extends grace to us. That after confessing, Nehemiah is thankful and he's proclaiming that covenant promise. We talked about the importance of the covenant. This is so core to the understanding of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, to recognizing that the God is, and his covenant people is so foundational to their understanding of his, as being his people that they say, even when we messed up, God, you can still bring us back. And I'm thanking you in advance that I can trust you to be faithful to your word. He shows adoration. God, you're the great God. You're great and awesome. God of heaven. Confession. God, I confess the sins of me and my family and our whole nation. Thanksgiving. God, thank you that you are faithful to your word that even if we come back and return to you, you will make a place for your people in Jerusalem. And then finally, after all of that, we see the fourth one, which is supplication. Fancy word for saying, asking God for things, petitioning him for things. Verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and mighty hand. Lord, let your ear, he's, here's where he's actually asking what's going to happen. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And there's one sentence that I didn't include um, in this that's the very last sentence of Nehemiah 1, and it just says, I was cupbearer to the king. So when it says, give me favor, success today from this man, he's specifically referring to when he goes to the king as a cupbearer and is going to be in the throne room and saying, God, I adore you. I confess mine and our sins. I thank you that you are faithful to your promises. And now I finally ask you for what I want. Please give me success today. Not because I want to... Uh, uh, I want to raise at my job, not because I want a new position, not the kind of success that grants me a bigger house, not the kind of success that grants me a, a, a more robust portfolio financially. Give me success today as I plead with the king for your glory, God, for what you want, for your purposes, because I have, you have placed a burden on our city, or excuse me, for me, on me, for our city. The city of Jerusalem, God, you've put that burden. You, I know you want your people to dwell in there again. You've set that place aside. Give me success today. I ask you as I go see the king. So we've talked briefly about mourning. 
We've talked briefly about fasting. We've talked briefly about prayer. All of those could be sermons in and of themselves and series, sermon series in and of themselves. But I wanted us to, to touch base upon these briefly in Nehemiah 1 because we've talked about resolutions and I'm, I'm going to ask if you would consider, I'm going to invite you to be a part of not a, a church-wide resolution, but I would say a church-wide challenge. Something that as, as I've connected with other pastors locally and, and spoken to the elders about, that I want to invite you to be a part of something that is bigger than our church, but God might put a burden for our city through it. What I want to do is I want to show you this picture. I'm going to go to the side and read it. Um, this is a picture from Trinity San Diego, which is uh, Twin Peaks. If you're, if you're familiar with Community Food Connection, it's the church that shares the property there, uh, but it's Twin Peaks near Espola. And here's what it says. We can't wait to kick off 2022, then in God's house and his presence. Join us at 10 a.m. tomorrow. We're excited and ready to start strong this year and see God move in a greater way in our community. Join us as we dive in and prepare for our multi-church 21 day of prayer and fasting beginning January 16th. Park Church San Diego, which is on Midland Road by the post office. Living Way Church Poway, which is on a, um, Twin Peaks as well. And Pomerado Christian Church here for us. Now, here's what I'm inviting us, challenging us to be a part of. That we come from a, a, a movement of churches, the Christian church, where we try to break down denominational lines and we try to say, let's, let's unite for the sake of God's kingdom. And so what we're going to ask is, we're actually going to start our, um, ours a little earlier. They're starting January 18th, 16th. Um, a few other churches are going to start a, a church-wide and then with other churches in this area, a prayer and fasting for our city. And we want to start ours a week from tomorrow on January 10th. What does that look like? We'll unpack some details. We'll provide some resources. But what I, what I want to clarify right off the bat, it doesn't have to be food, right? It's a giving up of something for a spiritual pur purpose. It can be something where you do it not every day, but some week. You need to pray, or we would all pray to see what God might be calling us to give up in order to take hold of him. What is God calling us that might be that thing that is hindering us from a closer relationship with God? Again, it could be gaming, it could be social media, it could be TV, it could be watching sports, it could be, I'm just talking about my own life at this point. Um, it could be all these different things that might be hindering us and our nurturing our relationship with God at the beginning of this year. But we're going to come up with that. We're, we're going to find a, a Bible reading plan through the Bible app for 21 days that we'll read together as a church. We'll be able to have opportunities to know that we're coming alongside other churches in our area, not worried about denominational differences, but uniting around the hope and the prayer and the pleading and the mourning and the fasting and the praying that God would move in his city in Poway, that we would be part of that and that we'd be able to rejoice and celebrate what God is doing. And so with that said, we'll, we'll close our time this morning. We'll talk more about these things next week. We'll give you more resources. We want to equip you to, to be able to be a part of this if you so choose. And if you so choose during this week, pray, God, what is, what is it you'd want me to give up so I can take hold of you? What is it you'd want me to give up so that I can seek you more? And what is it that I can become less with or in so that you become greater in our city.
And I hope that I, I, I go into that knowing this is a big thing for us, but also knowing that big sacrifices often lead to big kingdom impacts. And so let's see what God might do together as we join with other churches, fasting, praying for our city. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for each person who hears my voice now, whether in person, whether online, or listening or watching the podcast later. And God, I thank you for um, other churches and um, for Trinity and for Living Way, um, Lord, and for Park Church and other churches that are part of this. And knowing that it's such a blessing to be able to know that in our city of Poway, you've put different churches that will meet different people's needs and will reach different people so that your city, your city will be reached with the gospel in different ways. But it's the same truth, the same message, and the same hope we have in you, Jesus. So God, I pray that as we close our time today, that you would be, that you would be putting upon our hearts over this week areas and things that we could give up so that we could take hold of you and things that we would sacrifice so that we could see more people in our city recognize your sacrifice for them, Jesus. May you work in and through us as we have a burden for our city. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.